Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What up, TCK Potters? I'm your host, Sky Guasco. This is episode 195 of the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Podcast. Joined always by Lucas Kaser. And once again, for the fourth time in as many shows, Jonathan Rifkin joining us. Jonathan, how are we feeling today, brother? Oh, fantastic. Happy to be here. Good, man. Thank you so much for joining us again. And as we're doing for every episode, please give a uh, an abridged version at this point of uh, who you are, what you do, and why you're here. I almost want to change it up every episode. Um, yeah, I'm a professional fry cook. No. Uh, so a uh, professional podcaster, Believe in the Pac-12 on the Believe Podcast Network uh, with the esteemed Ryan Leaf, one of my favorite colleagues. And I guess we're friends now, which is also weird. Um, so that... Uh, call high school sports in southern california i also do um some collegiate broadcasting as well for Loyola marymount university um and some community colleges in the area too shouts out to the uh, wazoo cougars there for uh, ryan leaf also drew bledsoe and uh, many others as well yep. there. mike all Price, right the famed coach at the time there it is boom um Let's jump right into the incoming tight ends. This entire week, if you've been listening at this point, every single episode, you're familiar with the drill. Uh, we broke down the quarterbacks on Mondays, running backs on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, wide receivers, and today we're going to break down the tight ends. Now, just naturally with rookie tight ends, especially in fantasy football, um, there is not as much to cover right away. Uh, hopefully, we're talking about all of these guys, if if not at least 80% of them, in the next three to five years, because traditionally that's kind of when these tight ends start to develop. Uh, but for sake of the series and sake of the draft coming up today, when you're listening to this, this is actually draft day number one, so enjoy that this afternoon. Um, We're going to go through the uh, prospects here coming into the NFL draft for 2020 and per usual, give a quick breakdown on each of these guys and then maybe where we think uh, they might land as far as team needs. So before we jump into that, let's check in with Lucas. Lucas, how are you feeling today, brother? I'm doing great. Um, we were pre-recording these and we just talked about tight ends yesterday. So I don't know how much more tight end knowledge I can drop for, for <laughs> young tight ends, but we'll see what we can do here. Hey, man, we're, we're going deep, deep on the TCK pod here today. All right, boys, let's jump right into it. Hunter Bryant, Washington. We'll start with you, Jonathan, our, our Pac-12 uh, specialist here on the podcast. Why don't we jump right into Hunter Bryant from Washington Huskies? Well, get ready for the next five or six years to start talking about Washington tight ends in the same exact spot because there's uh, a, quite a class of them coming in, uh, oncoming class for the, for the school itself. But Hunter Bryant is the first – of what will be probably the next four uh, next four drafts, we'll see a tight end coming out of Washington. Um, great athlete, very quick, uh, both lateral and vertical maneuverability for a tight end, which is a very big luxury to have. Um, he can pass block. He has good straight line speed. Um, I would say that his biggest weakness is that he's not super elusive. Like he's a heavy runner, so if you're looking to wrap him up. He's not going to really break away. He's not going to, you know, sidestep around you or juke you out. You're going to wrap him up and bring him down. Um, but uh, he's an asset. Uh, you know, he's going to get you the, the five or six yards you need in a dump down pass. He'll get you the, the block that you need for the three extra se- seconds to execute a pass. Um, and he can, you, you know, you can run him down in a vertical and up a seam, and hopefully he's there open for you to make a big play. So uh, he's dynamic. He's multifaceted. I think that he is the best tight end in this draft. Yeah, I, I totally agree. He's my tight end one. Um, he, on top of all of that, he played fullback. He played the, the wide receiver in jet motion, taking handoffs. He played out wide. He played the slot. He was Jacob Eason's wide receiver one. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for him. Or like, I, He was probably just the best weapon on that offense, which is a good thing. And they showed the versatility um, that he brings. Dumb, not know if it's a good comparison. I compared him like Evan Ingram kind of in the way he might be used in the NFL, kind of like a receiver basically that can run block, but no one really like talks about that. I just think that he, I don't want to say he's going to be drafted first, but his versatility I think separates himself from the other guys in this class. Um, I just really like him. I don't know if I've watched film on every other tight end in this class. I just feel like he's the one guy I think that can bring the most to an NFL team. Um, right away and it's super hard to predict what teams will take tight ends especially because there was a lot of needs at tight end and they all got filled in free agency so we're kind of back to back to even and i don't really know where to project project all these guys would it be fair to uh throw out some comparisons maybe in uh let's say evan ingram 
before the snap <laughs> as far as lining up different places, maybe a move tight end, things like that. That's very valuable in the NFL, creating ma uh, mismatches. And then uh, to Jonathan's point, maybe like a young uh, mobile Jason Witten after the ball. Is that fair? I mean, reliable, yeah. reliable, good hands. He, he, you know, he's going to catch that first down curl all day long, a five yard out. Reliable in the red zone, he can block and all these things. He's not Evan Ingram after the catch, uh, but maybe beforehand, and then maybe kind of Jason Witten's been catching the ball and just like sitting down for the last eight years. Uh, but he's extremely reliable. That's a, that's an interesting di like dynamic of combination. I like that. We'll we'll go with that one for sure. My only worry with that comparison is that when you're like a sit-down tight end, you're you're a heavy red zone target. And Hunter Bryant only had three touchdowns this season. Yeah. So, I I mean, look, the NFL level is different. Also, I go back and listen to our quarterback podcast because I had plenty of critiques for Jacob Eason. So, a lot of that falls on the shoulders of Eason and Jimmy Lake, who was calling the offense at the time. Um, but, yeah, I think that the Jason Witten just sort of, you know, like you're spamming triangle and Madden to try yeah. to do the possession catch. That That's Hunter Bryant in a nutshell. I love it. I love it. User catch. User catch. Yeah. That that's exactly what it is. <laughs> whenever he, whenever he, he has the ball, he just go. He secures it, goes down to the ground, and then you see the little user catch note pop up on the screen. Hey man, Jason Witten's probably going to end up in the Hall of Fame for and doing exactly that. Top twelve tight end last year, like age thirty six. So, yep. Yeah, exactly. Not a top. Not a top twelve uh, football analyst though. Not no, even top twenty not. football analyst. That's for another conversation. Let's move on. <laughs> To Thad Moss, uh, the son of, of one of my favorite players of all time, Randy Moss, of course. Uh, let's jump into Thaddeus Moss out of LSU. Well, uh, I was going to say, the only time I ever knew Randy Moss had a kid was the game against Alabama this year when he, I mean, I'm going to use the term Moss, he completely mossed the DB on his one touchdown. That's like the only time, like that catch, I was like, wait, who is this guy? And then you see Randy Moss up in the stands, like going crazy during that game. He's probably going to be the first tight end taken. I don't want to say just off his last name, but come on. Probably someone's going to be like, it's Randy Moss's kid. We kind of need a tight end. They might just make that comparison. But he, he's a good – I don't know how good he is at run blocking, but he's a really good pass catching, just possession, big body tight end. Kind of reminds me of Eric Ebron, kind of, in the way that he might be used in the NFL or the way he was using the for LSU. Um, I don't know. It's hard to make a comparison or, like, give a full, like – breakdown because we didn't really see anything until like that Alabama game on this year so it's kind of hard for me to like gauge how athletic or how valuable he really is going to be yeah I think the name brand is very much what he has going for him uh this is a guy who wasn't very highly taught at the high school um he was a three-star he was like the 17th recruit out of the or tight end of the state of North Carolina alone ended up going to NC State and then uh transferring to LSU but I think it's because of the brand. I think that's really why he was at the school, um, because he's Randy Moss's kid. Um, and because he has the intangibles to be a good enough tight end to, to do something. You know, 12 yards uh, per catch. Yeah, 12 yards per catch. Not phenomenal. Not terrible, though. Um, solid for a tight not, end. Yeah, it's solid. But, I mean, like, again, like Hunter Bryant was 15 yards per catch. Um, and they're very similar in that they're possession tight ends. Um, I think the strength comes from for Moss is his, his – is, uh, blocking ability he's big he's wide in the trenches he's going to try and hit you up every which way um and that's where he serves as an asset um because he's not a dynamic runner he's not a great route runner uh and he doesn't have the best hands so i, I really think that he's going to be a strong run blocker and that's probably the extent of uh, his nfl career fantastic I, I'm excited to see what actually happens with him because of the prestige that he's coming into uh, with this. He is a big body, obviously. He did show some impressive athleticism in the national championship game and and otherwise for LSU. I mean, I'm not saying he's the best one in the class by any means, but uh, certainly impressive. And, you know, if Randy can really get the people around him, uh, not so much Randy Moss coaching his own kid, which he's been doing his whole life, but a big thing that happens with professional athletes' uh, kids Patrick Mahomes is one of them. Their their parents uh, have the connections already to put them with some of the 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 most incredible specialists in the world as far as uh, sports goes. Right, like Mahomes' dad is a baseball guy, but he was able to have kind of all these different tools around him his whole life. So he got used to the locker room camaraderie, got used to being coaching, got used to all these different things that I think inevitably gives them a leg up potentially in other players. For 
for some reason this just reminds me of like Lonzo Ball scenario written all over uh, it. Like, <laughs> like no one knew who he was till he did one thing, made one highlight, and now he's like, well, not that this tight end class is like that great or like that they're going to be drafted super high, but it's just like he's going to get drafted. I mean, I was just thinking in my head the Patriots. Everyone's going to be like, oh my gosh, a Patriots tight end. It's Randy Moss's kid, and then he's going to have like one touchdown next year, and there's going to be this whole like wave of Randy Moss back in the New England type scenario i don't know it's just i just thought it just kind of popped in my head that reminded me of that for some reason we're gonna see an interesting this can become a trend because chad johnson's son is about to become a freshman at arizona state as a wide receiver um and and i don't we saw him like four times this past year and i don't think he's very good but he's chad johnson's son whereas we're gonna see this is right he's gonna start he's gonna get an nfl opportunity it's gonna be very interesting i mean all these all these branded kids it's it's fascinating to see how they how they're perceived differently because they're ex's kid. Let's move on to Cole Komet coming out of Notre Dame. Uh, some folks have him as their top tight end. Uh, definitely has uh, potentially the intangibles, at least on paper. Uh, Lucas, we'll start with you. Well, the last, really the only Notre Dame, Notre Dame game I watched last year was when they tore apart Iowa State in the bowl game. Oof, uh, primarily sorry, Cole brother. Komet tore apart Iowa State. Um, he has good size. He just nothing like pops for him. I feel like he did like good for what he had at Notre Dame, but he's not. I mean, he's decent speed, decent hands. He's big. He can run block. But like, I just think I value Hunter Bryant, Adam Troutman, Albert O, even Harrison Bryant over him. But I think Komet will be a good sort of long term, um, like kind of like a Jack Doyle type. Like he'll always be signed back just because he's, he's overall like good at everything he does. For fantasy, I don't know if that's going to translate obviously jack Doyle is good sometimes but opportunity with whatever team he lands on but i think he's just uh he's just a good like like b grade player to me my favorite moment of the season of the college football so one of my favorite moments was when usc went to notre dame this season um and notre dame almost blew a 17 point fourth quarter lead they ended up winning 30 to 27 and one of those plays that usc that really brought usc back in the game was an Ian Book sack, but the, the sack came because Komet could not hold his block. Um, and that was the biggest criticism was that USC is going to come back into this game because this tight end cannot pass block to save his life. Mm-hmm. And that's literally, that's his biggest criticism. Um, and I think that if he's not being utilized as a pass catcher in the offense, in the schematic offense that he's running, um, I don't think that he's going to have a lot of value to a lot of teams because he just simply can't block. Um he also has a separation issues. Uh, he, he's not going to outrun you. He's not going to no. out-hustle you. Um, and so if they you know, they stick a linebacker on him, linebackers will be able to run with him. Um, and so that lack of ability to create separation leaves a lot to be desired um, to his game as well. So, you know, he's a big tight end. He's pretty explosive off the line. Um, but his, his inability to block and, and create separation are two big flags for me. I think still he's the second best uh, tight end in the draft behind Hunter Bryant. Um, but still has a lot of developing to do if he really wants to become the elite of the elite and tight end level or tight end for the NFL. And you you got to kind of feel bad for him because after the combine, everyone wanted to replace him with Chase Claypool and just insert him at tight end for right. whatever reason because he was too big to play receiver, I guess, but he was faster than half the receiver class. So a different conversation for actually, no, but now that I'm saying this, they'll hear that before they'll hear this. But it's definitely a. Just like a, I don't know, he's just an average tight end, I think, at best. In fantasy football, of course, we love the tight ends that don't know how to block because they're primarily a receiver. Uh, a la Evan Ingram, uh, OJ Howard, some of these guys who are, are better used as a pass catching weapon. But what made Rob Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski, and Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle, and Zach Ertz, and some of these guys, they are just as effective in the run game as they are in the past game. And of course we don't give a shit about that in fantasy football, but you talk to people who really know the game of football and Rob Gronkowski changed the game as a receiver. He was so dominant, huge fucking throwing DBs off of him, all this shit. You talk to other people who actually know the game and they say that he's, he is, he is on par with some of the, the tackles in the league, if you will, with his run blocking. And of course, NFL teams, value that so much so as far as where these guys get drafted and the team need on that if these guys do not have the the pass blocking uh oh sorry the run blocking chops that they're going to need to at the next level um that could definitely hurt their stock uh and potentially hurt their opportunity uh as well to grow into the receiving tight end because you just don't 
see that so much in the collegiate level and also in the pros sometimes there's like a blocking tight end and a receiving tight end uh which you might have but if you're able to be both of those guys you never leave the field such as the top tight ends in fantasy football year after year so that'll be interesting to see what happens with cole Komet. Let's jump into Adam Troutman. You guys have brought him up uh, quickly already. Out of Dayton, so definitely a smaller school. I know that uh, Jonathan's got love for the smaller schools. Um, Adam Troutman, man, out of Dayton, uh, what do you see from him? Yeah, give me that FCS love. 916 receiving yards this season. 14 big touchdowns. Beaston, Beaston. I mean, the Flyers weren't only good at basketball this year. They had a hell of a football player, too. Um, yeah, I mean, look, he's an above-average athlete. I think that he is seen as like a hybrid wide receiver, tight end. Um, you can sort of like Evan Ingram, we can throw him out in, in the pocket. You can throw him out wide as a wide receiver if you really wanted to because he's longer than most um, DBs in man-on-man coverage, which is where he'll end up probably beating you. Um, one of his big strengths, I know FCS defense is a little bit different than FBS defense, but his ability to make contested catches, uh, you know, he uh, – a DB gets inside position, ball is still thrown in his catching radius. He's done a pretty good job of, of at least securing those catches or securing those balls. Um, but where he really locks, I think, is is his effectiveness off the off the block, right? Like you have a tight end in the NFL, you want to call his name, his number, but you want to make sure that he gets to the point where you're trying to get him the ball at the right time. Um, and for a pass catching tight end, I think that's where Troutman lacks is the explosiveness off the line and the ability to run the route quick enough to get to the point where the receiver wants or the, the quarterback wants to connect with him on the pass. Um, and that's a big deal in the NFL because obviously if a quarterback does not have faith in you to get to where you're supposed to be, they're not going to throw you the ball. Um, and so that's his biggest critique that I've seen at least uh, from Adam Troutman. Yeah, I mean, I'm you literally took everything that kind of encompassed the season last year. If you want to go watch film on him, you're going to have to dig and dig. And there's just not a good resource to kind of just like give you a good prospect profile on him. At the combine, he tested right around the same as every other tight end, which I think obviously you'd want him to exceed that. But I think when you come to FCS players or just small school players, the obviously it's you can't play good talent. You didn't play good talent. But he took the bad talent and he destroyed them. Like if you watch the film, it was like a joke. <laughs> they were just throwing the ball up and he was catching it for touchdowns all the time. So check that off. He I mean, he did good against it, and he did really good. He's at the same level as the tight ends in the combine. He's big, and if one team just really likes that skill set, I think he can have a really good career. Because um, any situation he goes to, he's going to be – I don't know him, but, like, I mean, a small school, he's going to be just thrilled to be in the NFL on any team. So I know he's going to try hard. I know he's going to give 100% effort to be whatever role he is, um, which is the case with – I don't know, every player you'd hope, but obviously that's not the case. So I think that he's in a good spot coming into the draft. It'll just matter of will teams take a Dayton flyer tight end higher than they will take an actual um, top school tight end. And in order to stand out at those smaller schools, of course, like, you know, draft scouts deal with it every single year. Head coaches know what's going on. They understand the smaller school players don't play the big conference players outside of maybe one game that they get paid to lose by 60 a year. But if you're still at that smaller school and you're fucking crushing the competition, that still says something. I mean, what's that classic thing of, you know, BYU or sorry, BYU, uh, Boise state for year for like four or five years, right. Uh, They were going undefeated in their conference. And then people were like, yeah, but you know, it's like, uh, yeah, I know you're undefeated, but like, it's who like you UC, play kind UCF of a thing. and like Notre Dame every single year. It's like the same sure. conversation. Sure, and it's like who do you play? But but the only argument that those schools have to say is we played who we had to and we beat them. Mm-hmm. So for guys like this, it's like I'm playing who I'm playing against and I'm fucking crushing them. So take a chance on me, kind of a thing. All right, let's move on to Big Albert O. Albert Okwagonum. Sure. <laughs> Go for it. Oh. <laughs> I thought that was flawless pronunciation, by the way. I think that you should be a, a phonetics expert, Sky. I do my um, best. Thank you. So so for Big Al O, he's interesting. I mean, look, it's fun to say. I've, for every broadcaster's sake, because that's where my heart lies, I hope he doesn't get drafted because who wants to say that name consistently? He'll, um, he'll be Albert O immediately, though. You're right. right. You're gonna, yeah. we got, you got to coin that now, Sky, so you get credit for it. There um, it is. It's already been. I, I think it's, it's already, already moving. Coined. Yeah, it's a problem. Huh? Uh, all right. I'm not paying enough attention. Um, 
yeah, he's, I mean, he's a, he's, and we'll get to Jacob Breland here in a moment, but he's very much like Jacob Breland, but he's faster. Um, he's a cover two quarter. He's a cover two killer. I love these tight ends um, who you can throw in a cover two, either a full zone or, or a cover two hybrid where they're, they're running man on the, the corners um, because all you need is somebody reliable up the seam. And that's what Alberto brings you, right? He brings you that ability to, to, to throw him out in either a cross, you can throw him out in the vertical of the seam, um, or even a post if, if you're inside the red zone and, and he'll likely either be open or he'll have inside position. Um, so I love him as a tight end, as an NFL tight end. I think he's going to be an asset to any team that picks him. He's 260 pounds and he's 6'6". I mean, he's going to match Jeez. up to basically anybody. Um, not only that, but I mean, he had, he had, you know, three and a half years of solid experience in that, in that, uh, in the SEC, which is like, if you're if you're a, t- a notable tight end coming into the SEC, you're probably pretty good because you're playing against the best defenders in the country. Um, and so I, I, I like Alberto a lot. I think that he's going to be a formidable tight end um, and maybe even a steal, depending on where he's taken in the draft. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, he I use player profiler. I don't know if you're familiar with that a lot for like my prospects sort of research, whatever you want to call it. So yeah, 6'6", 258. Uh, he ran a 4.49, which placed him in the 99th percentile of speed score for tight ends, which is like their weight and speed. I don't know the exact like formula or anything. So he can move for the weight he's at, um, the height he's at. I just, yeah, it's just tough because the whole conversation with tight ends is what opportunity are they going to get? Will he get to be the wide receiver, the wide receiver two on a team? Will he be the second, third target for a team? I don't know where that would be. We'll find out. But I think that... I like Hunter Bryant, but I think Alberto has the highest upside just due to his speed profile um, in the NFL. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where these guys go. I mean, to be able to move at that at that size the way that he can, man, I mean, you know, all you got to do is, is get the ball in his hand. So that'll be interesting. All right, let's move on to Harrison Bryant. We talked about Hunter Bryant already. We'll talk about Harrison Bryant here out of FAU, Florida Atlantic University, another smaller school. Uh, Jonathan, we can start with you. I don't know what it is about Lane Kiffin, but for some reason he always has products that end up on the draft board. doesn't matter where he goes, and now it's going to be – I mean, at Mississippi especially now, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what prospects slide out of that program. But uh, Harrison Bryant is an interesting prospect. He's a great run blocker. He has good body control. He has, he has good hands. Um, I think that where he really – lacks is his ability is his agility right like as a, what 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 we've been talking about at least from a fantasy perspective is good tight ends are rated based on their ability to make plays right they're they're quick they're agile they're um they're explosive off the line they can run good routes they have good hands harrison bryan is lacks that agility to then effectively run a route and i think that that's going to hurt him because if you don't have a tight end who can create separation or who can create enough space for the catching radius to be open for a quarterback Again, you're not going to want to throw him the ball. It's, limit, it's limiting that tight end ceiling, and I think that's Harrison Bryant's problem is that the, the confidence a quarterback has in his ability to create separation um, because of his lack of athleticism is going to be a big question mark in, in the NFL. Um, so, you know, he has, he has the proven talent. He has the body for it. I don't know if he has the, the overall skill, though, to really become uh, a, a Tier 1 or Tier 2 NFL tight end. Yeah, he just reminds me of, like, a fullback for some reason. Like, when I kind of think about him, like, I just feel like he's not, like, the 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 typical tight end come in the NFL. I mean, you kind of saw that with TJ Hawkinson, obviously not the same extent. Hawkinson's probably a better prospect, but he was a – I mean, him and Noah Fant, both out of Iowa. Fant was the receiving tight end. Fant was the tight end. Hawkinson was the fullback, run blocker, utility, J-back role. And that's why he got drafted higher, because that is more valuable than just a random pass-catching – deep right. tight end so i think that harrison Bryant will get drafted um will he play the j or the the fullback whatever the team uses i i hope so because he's really good at it he can catch the ball but like you said he lacks the agility or maybe that george kittle run after catch ability um but i think that he's a very good prospect in his own um and i'm really excited for him to hopefully land on a good spot for run blocking type player and as you just mentioned, Lucas, uh, you know we talked about it earlier in in the uh, episode here. It's it's very important for these uh, for these players to be the ability to block. Man, you talked about it with T.J. Hawkinson getting drafted higher uh, because he was more valuable to an NFL team. All right, let's move on to the next one. Bryson Hopkins out of Purdue. Jonathan, we'll start with you. 
Um, I don't really have much to say outside of what we've what we've talked about with the other guys. He's again another prototypical um, tight end. I'm so the way I see tight ends is different in college because I think that the defenses for each conference are different. Um, and the Big Ten defensively was one of the best conferences this season. Oh yeah, and so always I, is. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and running. <laughs> yeah. Well, when we get to running backs, we'll definitely talk about that. Um, but so I think that any tight end coming out of out of a conference that exudes defensive tendencies, strong defensive tendencies, is somebody to look at because it's hard to make it's hard to get production um, against these these really good teams. Um, and and that's why I think, look, again, as far as criticisms, yeah, he's not, again, not the fastest guy. He's not going to beat you off the line. He's not going to create that separation. But, you know, Hopkins is good hands. He's proven that he can play in big moments. Um, I will say this, though. Purdue had a terrible loss at the beginning, the first game of the season to Utah State or to Nevada, to Nevada yeah. on like a 60-yard field goal. Um, and, and the only guy, the only reason that, Purdue was even in that game was because of Bryson Hopkins. Um, and so to have a guy that you can rely on to, to keep you in a game, even if it's against uh, a team that you're supposed to be way better than anyways, um, is a luxury. So I think that he, I think he'll go, you know, he'll, he'll be a, a day three guy, but he's going to get a shot uh, to play on an NFL team. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to, like, when I think of, like, you said you kind of how you break down tight ends. When I look at tight ends, I have to find one thing that, like, sticks out for me to sort of like break him apart or identify him. He tested right around the same, the whole class besides really Alberto. And if you want to put in Chase Claypool as a tight end, they were all tested about the same in terms right. of speed scores, agility scores. There wasn't anything that really stood out except for Alberto's speed score. Hopkins has played good talent. Like you said, in the uh, big 10, he can run block these run blocks. I don't know if you run block Chase Young or if he's got matched up against him, Josh Uche. I mean, there's just a ton of guys that he's lined up against that are good. NFL ready edge rushers, linebackers. Um, yeah, I mean, it just comes down to if a team likes him better. A lot of people do like him quite a bit higher than like Harrison Bryant, even Cole Komet. This varies for whoever's watching film or whatever team it is. But I think that he could, he's probably more of a tight end two prospect on a team, I think, if anything, because he just didn't shine in college. With, And you would hope he, hopefully he did because Rondell Moore got hurt. I don't know. I mean, Rondo Moore doesn't conduct a huge market share on that team, but I feel like with the when with him leaving, you maybe hoped he would have stepped up to be like that that top tight end in this class, which he ultimately didn't. Um, but that shouldn't knock him too much. Let's jump into two of our last uh, tight ends. We're going to dive deeply into, and then we'll go over some deeper dives uh, on players and um, go over some of those maybe you know just names to keep. Keep in the back of your mind as you go through the NFL draft. Again, the draft kicking off here in just a couple hours today. And if you're um, listening to it over the weekend, I hope you've enjoyed the the first ever teledraft uh, overall. Hope it goes well. All right, let's jump into two more Pac-12 guys. Uh, Jonathan, we'll have you kick off both of these here um, as our, uh, our Pac-12 insider, if you will. Um, you are obviously watching these guys closer than, than we are. Um, Let's start with uh, Colby Parkinson, actually, from Stanford, and then we'll end uh, end with a, a duck. Colby Parkinson from Stanford, take it away. Yeah, Parkinson coming to the season was like a top three or four tight end prospect in the nation. Um, now he's dropped. He's somewhere within like the 6 to 10, 10 to 12 range of tight ends. There are a lot of tight ends in this draft. Obviously, most of these tight ends aren't going to be taken. Um and if you're not going to see a, a tight end taken out, like probably you'll see one or two in the first 100 picks. Um, but Parkinson was really highly touted, and then he dropped off. And we often think about, you know, if you're not paying attention to what's going on in the Pac-12, a lot of people see him as a guy who dropped off as, as a byproduct of being in the Pac-12, right? Justin Herbert was a Heisman candidate coming into the year. Justin Herbert was not a Heisman candidate when the year ended because a lot of people said, well, he played in the Pac-12. So I think that as, as far as Power 5 conferences go, the Pac-12 gets the, the worst rap. And that has hurt Colby Parkinson from a national perspective. Um, when you look at the situation at Stanford, what really hurt him was KJ Costello getting injured um, and, and David Mills taking the place, a young sophomore with not a lot of experience. And Parkinson ended up becoming the third option in that offense. Um, with KJ Costello out there, he was the first option. He was the most reliable receiver on this team. He only had one touchdown this season. Um, and that came in the opening game with Costello. So I think that his drop is a, is – 
a testament to Stanford's offense as a whole, not necessarily to him as a player. Great, great ability to catch the ball. One of the most athletic tight ends in the in the draft um, from a national standpoint. He's a tall target. Um, and again, he's not going to be much of a run blocker, but from a fantasy perspective, you're not looking for that. Um, so as far as fantasy value, I think he's probably going to be one of the most valuable guys. He will get drafted. He will get a shot. And I think that as far as ceilings go, he is one of the highest ceilings, um, especially as one of a lower, the lowest picks potential in this draft. I mean, I don't know, like a ton to like that extent of him. <laughs> I, I know that I know that he was one of the top guys, like sort of reverting back to maybe early big board rankings or something. But I think you broke it down perfect um, for his sort of profile and why why he fell. Let's jump into another Pac-12 and uh, Oregon Duck. Jacob Breeland, uh, I watched him very closely, but we'll turn it over once again to, to Rifkin to, to get us kicking on this one. Yeah, he's the cover two killer. I mean, he was the guy who let Oregon stay in that game against Auburn, right? He was the guy who uh, they established the offense against uh, in, in all three of their non-conference games, and then he goes and he gets injured, and that was the season. Now, don't get me wrong, Spencer Webb's a great backup, but he's going to become a great court, uh, tight end next year as a prospect. Um, but Jacob Breeland was, I mean, he's a phenomenal route runner. He's very fast, and he has great hands, and those are all the three intangibles you need for a fundamental tight end, um, and that's what Jacob Breeland brought. And in a Pac-12 where most defenses play that cover two style, whether it's a cover two man or a cover two zone, he was the answer. Uh, he was Herbert's answer. He was nationally one of the best route, route runners in the tight end position. And you need that in the NFL, um, especially when defenses like to drop two back and they like to leave the middle open against offenses that spread out their um, their, their skill positions. He's going to become a big asset up the seam. Um, and so I like Jacob Berlin a lot. I think he'll probably be the, fifth, uh, the fourth or fifth tight end taken. Probably the fourth is my guess. Um, and again, he's another guy who from a fantasy value perspective, has a very high ceiling. And that's all you Oregon guys. I don't, I don't I only watched like two Oregon <laughs> I don't games. I steal your year. thunder. No, that's all you guys. Well, you know, we bring on, we bring on Jonathan for these episodes for the draft because you have the college insight um, working with the NCAA. And you also, again, as we've mentioned on previous episodes, uh, you also cover high school uh, athletics. Obviously we're a football podcast, but you're, all over the board calling all sorts of sports. So you have a, a unique perspective in what uh, we're able to do with our researches. Uh, you're actually like literally on the field, literally having interviews uh, with these players from the high school level and uh, up, up into uh, the NFL draft. So we always appreciate your breakdowns, man. Thank you for being so in-depth, especially with the Pac-12 network um, and everything that you do there. Uh, before we get out of here, let's turn it back. Um, and Lucas, we'll start with you on these here. Um, Let's just have a little fun. We'll kind of just spitball oh, a couple of a couple of uh, <laughs> uh, late guys. And you know what? Um, we've we've covered a, a couple in the previous episodes. We've covered a couple deep sleepers, if you will, that we haven't really broken down. And I don't expect you to break them down, but maybe just some names uh, to consider that you think could be a valuable asset for an NFL team that might get drafted um, that isn't necessarily getting uh, the hype you think uh, uh, deserved right now. And honestly. We can even take it a step further. We don't talk about ADP really ever on this particular podcast. However, it is a fantasy uh, feature for those of you that do play AD, uh, IDP. Excuse me. So if you want to uh, talk about some individual defensive players, feel free to do that. Uh, Lucas will let you kick it off here. Yeah, we'll probably just keep this defense because we'll probably go through. I have a couple of running backs and receivers like lower end, but we'll go through those on those episodes. Not a sleeper, but C.J. Henderson's a beast. I I really really like him more. Like not that more than Okuda, but I feel like there there's not a that much of a gap that people think there are. So that's just kind of my thought on him. Uh, there's a couple safeties in this class that you would not think would actually be good. Like the schools they come from, you'd be like, no way, not a chance. So Antoine Winfield out of Minnesota, Jeremy Chin, and um, Kyle Duggar. They are three that I think are rising quite a bit. Um, they're sort of overtaking like the Grant Delpit kind of Xavier McKinney now that I'm hearing a lot of buzz. So it's kind of interesting to see all the safeties kind of play out in this class. Um, I really like Davion Taylor. I'm sure you like him too, uh, Jonathan. Um, I don't know. There's just a ton of players that I think are all really good in this class. Uh, but I think ultimately, I think I, those safeties are kind of like, I don't watch a ton of defensive film or like break those down a lot, but those safeties have really st stood out to me in the games that I have watched. 
Awesome. And the, the IDP, the IDP is fun. I've only played one IDP league ever in uh, fantasy football, but it, it was a lot of fun to, to look at the defensive side of that. And I know that not a lot of people break it down. I want to give a, a shout out to one of the, the bigger guys uh, that I listen to quite a bit, the CBS um, crew and Dave Richard, uh, specifically with the, with the CBS crew. He breaks down IDP quite well. Um, so if you're looking for uh, IDP insights uh, on that, go ahead. Uh, Jonathan, any IDP guys, any defensive players um, that you think might bring value uh, as a rookie? We all know about Chase Young uh, and a couple of these other guys, but anybody right off the bat you think might be great for a, a IDP dynasty stash right now? Yeah, I mean, there. Are, I think the linebacking um, position is very, very deep. Um, obviously, Isaiah Simmons is the lead linebacker of this class, the junior out of uh, Clemson. Kenneth Murray out of Oklahoma is probably the second linebacker. Um, but then there are some guys. There are some guys that you may question, is this really a guy that is going to be of value to me um, at the linebacker position in fantasy? And the answer to me is, is yes. Uh, Zach, Zach Bond. Uh, I think it's Zach Bond. Bond B-A-U-N. Yeah. Um, yep. yeah, from Wisconsin. I mean, that guy, he can lock you down in the middle. Um, and what I really like about him is he can be both an edge rusher, but you, you can also throw him out as, as in a what's it called as a spy, as a linebacking spy for the quarterback because he's very his maneuverability is really good. He's fast, he's strong, um, and he's really good in coverage. So he's a multifaceted linebacker that I think is going to have value right off the bat. The other guy I think at the linebacking position is Akeem Davis Gaither from Appalachian State. So, so, so my my co-host Ryan Leaf did a lot of color um, for ESPN this year, and uh, one of the main teams that he would end up going to cover was Appalachian State. And one of my jobs was to help prep him on all the big names um, for these teams and in the office after our podcast. And one of the guys I would consistently prep him on is Akeem Davis Gaither because this guy defensively is, I mean, he's just a stalker. He will eat you up alive. He doesn't care. He is no hesitation attacker. He will run at you full force. He will bulldoze you if you try to block him. Uh, he's 6'2", 224, so as a linebacker, a little bit smaller um, on the weight size, but he makes up for it in his agility um, and what I like to call centrifugal force, which is just his ability to run through you. Um, so look out for Akeem davis Gator from App State as well. I have, I I have two, two guys that I'm going to ask you about since you're a Pac-12 guy. So Jalen Johnson and Julian Blackman. Where, how, because I feel like they're not like being pushed down, but how do you think those guys are like sort of in that tier two range? Or like, how do you sort of view them both out of Utah and then they had like the number one defense ish last year? They're in the top three. So I don't know if you have like really strong feelings about them or like, I guess since you covered it more, maybe how your thoughts are on them. Yeah, I'm I, Jalen Johnson's. I, first of all, Utah, man, people need to give Utah better. Um, a better rap defensively. So I Jalen Johnson's better, I think, of the two guys. He's faster. He ran a four five forty, which isn't phenomenal as a defensive back, but like anything between four four and four five five, like whatever you could be okay with. Um really good in coverage. Um and that's I think what Utah was really good at, right? Yep. They gave up they gave up one one game, they gave up more than three hundred passing guards. And that was against when Oregon beat them in the Pac twelve championship. No other time did that team give up more than 300 passing yards in the game. Um, that's how locked down they were defensively. And that was led by Jalen Johnson. Um, I'm trying to give you a good comp. I, I want to say Drake Kirkpatrick is probably the best comp, but it doesn't help because he just got cut by the Bengals. Um, but, I mean, in terms of style, in terms of durability, in terms of the ability to, to match up in man and, and stick with both receivers bigger and smaller and maybe even quicker than him, that Jalen Johnson is going to be is going to be a big contributor at the NFL level. I'm glad that you brought him up. Yeah, it's just like it's tough because like we've been doing a lot of mock drafts and like it's tough because you have that tier of Henderson, Akuda, Gladney, right? Fulton maybe he's kind of falling. Then you kind of have like the AJ Terrell, the Noah. I'm not even gonna try and pronounce his last name out of Auburn. <laughs> and then you kind of fall into there like Cam Dantzler. So like it's it's interesting because like the Raiders they just leaked that or Jalen Johnson said the Raiders have like really strong feelings about him. And I don't want to put it past John Gruden for them to take him at 19. I don't know if it's a bad pick, I guess. It's just kind of like hard to gauge where he, where he lines up against the other it's, corners. It's not a bad pick for a team that needs a cornerback. It's a bad pick to take him that high, though. That's yeah. my opinion. I still think AJ Terrell, like, I, I think that you, you were right to say, like, okay, well, like, Okuda, Henderson, Fulton are all obviously tier one, maybe even Trevon Diggs, um, Jeff Gladney. 
But I mean, I don't know. I don't know if Noah from Auburn. What's it? I Igan Boney. Yeah, sure. I don't know if he's that much better than Johnson. I don't know if AJ Terrell. AJ Terrell's phenomenal. I don't know if he was that much better than, than Jalen Johnson. I think Jalen Johnson was guarding harder wide receivers than AJ Terrell was because the Pac-12 had better wide receivers than the ACC did. Um, and so, you know, as far as like the tier two goes, as my dog comes to say, "What's up?" Say, "What's up, Jack?" Um, What's up, Jack? He'd What's up, good, Jack? He'd, he'd be a good defensive back. Um, I think that I really think that Johnson could be the, at the top of the tier two. DBs in this draft just because I, I'm not convinced on any of the other guys outside of, you know, Gladney, Diggs, Fulton, Henderson, and Okuda. Sure. I was just, I was just wondering. I didn't really know where to gauge him, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're talking about Auburn and, and defensive players, and one name I haven't heard you guys bring up is Derek Brown from Auburn. Um, and obviously, Oregon got beat up. Uh, they had a real chance to, to win that Auburn game. Uh, and I think if they play it all over again, I think they actually do win it. But Derek Brown was definitely a factor and a problem there. Um, 6'5", 326, uh, getting pro comps to Reggie White. And for those OGs out there, Reggie White's one of the best defensive linemen of all time. Um, I'm not saying that that's a legit career comp, but right now with skill sets and size and whatever. Uh, quick thoughts on Derek Brown, who seemed to um, – really tear up the SEC. And again, we've mentioned it multiple times on the podcast for certain positional areas. Um, if your X uh, skill level at a particular position per conference, you're dominant. And really, if you're if you're a dominant defensive player at all, and it's certainly defensive lineman in the SEC specifically with all of those huge offensive linemen and running backs on the other side, um, you're pretty, pretty impressive. So any thoughts on uh, Derek Brown? Well, you said that we haven't mentioned him, but that's because you asked us about sleepers, and Derek Brown is not a sleeper yeah. by any means. Like this there, guy, there is, we go. He's the real mm -hmm. deal. Um, I was, I was just thinking overall IDP. Again, we don't talk, okay. we don't have to break down every defensive player, but Lucas just just mentioned off kind of a top tier of of IDP players, defensive players, and I just didn't hear the name, so I wanted to make sure yeah, uh, we just weren't gonna, skipping over it. He's going to go a lot higher than people expect. Not because any of the teams that actually are picking in the top 10 need a defensive tackle. Um, they're just going to take him to take him. He's good. He's really, really good. The, I mean, I guess I didn't say the only the only team that needs a defensive tackle in the top 10 is the Panthers. I mean, I'm sure like the Dolphins could use one, or, but they're obviously not going to go that route. Um, but I, yeah, he's going to get drafted high. He The only thing that sucks about defensive tackles, especially in college, is when you're that good, you get double teamed, triple teamed, and then you let the, the DN shine or the other – D-tackle or the linebacker. So, like, it's tough to, like, find draft capital with defensive tackles. That's why I think we see so much fluctuation in the draft. If, like, they're really, really good, maybe they fall. Um, but I think teams sort of bought into Marlon Davidson – or Derek Brown. Marlon Davidson's the other Auburn guy. Derek Brown yeah. um, for the draft upcoming – or today, I guess, when you're listening. Lucas, do you think um, the Panthers at seven you mentioned might be a, an, a landing spot for Derek Brown? Do you think they would um... – not look at Isaiah Simmons instead to fill up uh, Luke Keekley. I think I don't know. It, I'm I'm having a tough time because when I do my mocks, I don't have both quarterbacks going five and six. Mm. I don't know because I think that Simmons is going to be gone before then because I don't think it, we, Derwin James fell in the draft when he was there. His teams didn't think a player like that could play in the NFL, and now we saw what Derwin James did. I don't think people are going to make that mistake again. So if he's there, yes, I think they will. This team, we've talked about it before. They're in complete rebuild, though. They just need franchise pieces um, going forwards. So I don't know. I mean, I think that the Chargers, if they don't like Herbert and two is gone, I think they would go that route and just keep building on that defense that is really good already. Um, but I think that's it, like a big board. I don't have one, but it'd be, it'd be young Simmons-Brown for me. And I think the Jags, uh, who are at nine, right behind the Panthers and the Cardinals, uh, I think the Cardinals go wide receiver. So whoever the Panthers pass on, uh, the Jags could pick up because we all know that the Jags have had a fucking fire sale uh, with everybody yeah. recently except for uh, Leonard Fournette. So their entire defense that should have beat the Patriots to go to the Super Bowl just a couple of years ago has completely imploded, and they have to start all over again. So I think Isaiah, uh, Isaiah Simmons or Derek Brown could be a nice kind of starter package uh if you will at number nine there all right guys we've broken down all the tight ends coming in to the nfl some idp names uh anything else you guys would like to bring in any other names maybe uh we've skipped over just a quick mention uh perhaps on anybody don't sleep with my boy michael turk the best punter in the draft 
Or uh, the who's the Georgia kicker? The with the glasses, the Rex back. Oh, from... Blankenship. Blankenship. Blank yeah, big, yeah when Georgia. They were in the, the playoff. I remember that. That was, that was a good time. Let's never forget that. Uh, uh, let's see. Um, Sebastian Janikowski, I believe, was a second round pick. He wasn't yep. a first round pick, was he? I don't know if Gruden would have done that, but he was a second round pick oh, yeah, anyway. I yeah. I do have a – I was coming completely irrelevant to defensive sleepers, but I'm just going to say because it's coming out the day of the draft, so it's marked down just in case this happens. Okay, the Niners have 13 and 31, right? Bring I was it, looking at, I was looking at – CeeDee Lamb and – I was looking at their roster and their cap space. They can cut every running back besides Moster before June 1st for zero dead cap. I'm into it. They don't pick till the fifth round. I proposed this to other people yesterday. If you stack CeeDee Lamb and Jonathan Taylor – I, I don't know. I'm just saying it's marked down right now. I don't want to put it out of the possibility because they don't pick again till the fifth round. So bold take, but they can remove all Fuck. of their running back stable that gets hurt every time they touch the ball for zero dollars and roll in with most certain Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan thoughts on that real quick before I go ridiculous on that prediction. I'm going to leave it to you, Sky. I have my own thoughts, but I'm going to leave it to you. I, I love – I'm a hot takey kind of person. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. I don't know. Well, and, and, and I will, I will uh, just to give Lucas his uh, deserved street cred, as people that listen to this podcast know, he is not somebody that talks, you know, talks unnecessarily or blows smoke. Um, I agree that it's quite the hot take per this podcast, uh, but I assume it's well that well thought out. I have been very vocal as a Niner homer on this podcast since I started. The Candlestick Kids is legitimately from the stadium's name for the 49ers, so I'm not shy Oracle about my – no. oh, Get the hell out of here. Uh, I am not shy. I am not shy about my Niner homedom. However, um, I have also been throwing out for two years, and that was with Mount Breida when we brought in Coleman. We brought in McKinnon two years ago. I said that Raheem Mostert was my favorite running back and the most talented on the roster. He finally got a chance this year, fucking crushed when he had the opportunity, was incredible during the playoffs. I want to get rid of every running back that we have on the roster, except for your boy, except for your boy, Jeff Wilson Jr. I'll keep him along for sta- uh, stability. <laughs> And uh, I would love to go with Jonathan Taylor, somebody else. I do think we go with the the wide receiver at 13 there. I know there's a lot of other needs per se, but like our defense is ridiculous, um, except for the secondary. And I think we can bolster the secondary later on. So I would love to get a, a high profile number one. And I think CeeDee Lamb, in my opinion, with what the Niners need and what they already have with George Kittle, um, uh, Benjamin, who they brought in, who's a uh, speedster and obviously Debo Samuel, I think I would – Personally, I would go with CeeDee Lamb even over the Judys and the Rugs and, uh, you know, I don't know. I think I would go CeeDee Lamb over those guys. Is George Kittle the best blocking tight end in the NFL? He's the best tight end in the NFL. That was my question. He's going to get paid this year. It's going to be awesome. I love I love George Kittle. I'm also an I'm, Iowa guy. You, so. Sky, Sky, do you follow Jeff Schwartz on Twitter? No. Okay, this is a public service announcement on behalf of Jeff Schwartz, who has not approved this message. So you guys know who Jeff Schwartz is, right? Yes. Yeah, okay, his yeah. brother, obviously, Michael Schwartz, was is one of the offensive linemen on, on Kansas City. Jeff Schwartz played a long career in the NFL. Shout out to the Palisades High School alum who's from the area. Um, <laughs> anyways, he, during the NFL season, he, he is a serious XM show and all that good stuff, but he breaks down different blocking schemes because he was a lineman and one of the people that he broke down at length was George Kittle um, and his blocking, his ability to block and they basically said like if this guy couldn't do anything else, he would still be a top five tight end purely placed on his blocking ability but the fact that he can block like an, a, an offensive lineman and still break out and, and do what he does as a, as a pass catcher is just unbelievable. Yeah, Dude's a beast. Even, so he didn't even do go that. Go follow at, Jeff at Schwartz. Iowa. Yeah, he didn't even catch balls at Iowa. No, like he was the backup tight end, and he's just a beast. Same with Hawkinson. I'm sure we'll see sort of the same progression going forward. Yeah, that's what I was mentioning earlier on with with Gronkowski and and some of these guys. It's like when you have that dual skill set as a tight end specifically, um, it just, it, it separates you at the NFL level. Of course it helps in fantasy if you're a pass catcher, but we're talking kind of just prospects going into the draft. You get so much more value, even if you're the backup on paper uh, because you don't have sexy stats, people have right. needs on their team and they're going to have that. And, you know, the Niners actually are one of the few teams that still has a legit fullback in Kyle Juszczyk. 
but not many teams have fullbacks anymore either. So if you're able to have a big body tight end like a George Kittle, who's a uh, he's at almost as good as as like a, a tackle in the NFL at blocking, um, he can get down to the second level. He can catch the ball like a receiver, and he can run uh, like like a fullback with speed. I mean, having those skill sets like you know Travis Kelsey and whatever is just pretty incredible. So I appreciate the Niners shouts out. <laughs> I definitely want to see what they do, and we will check it out over the weekend uh, with the NFL draft. So. Appreciate y'all hanging out with us for the last four episodes. Jonathan, always great to have you on, man. Um, please, uh, before we get out of here, please let everybody know where they can find you one more time. Yeah, feel free to check out my podcast, Believe in the Pac-12, on the Believe Podcast Network with Ryan Leaf. Uh, you can catch my broadcast online at various different outlets. Um, we're also accessed on all listening platforms, Spotify, Apple, Twitch, I don't know switch. What are they? All all the crazy ones. I guess Quibi is a new one. They're all they're all, all of them you can find me. <laughs> Fair enough. Thank you so much for joining us, man. It's always a pleasure. We're gonna bring you back uh for a special episode uh with um with an interview uh, that we love to break down kind of behind the scenes of the football world and dive into deeper things with what you do. You have quite the impressive resume. Um and again, as I mentioned, from the high school level all the way up, uh working into the pros. So we want to definitely break that down with you, which will be dropping soon after the draft. And also we'll bring you back uh for a quick recap on this draft to see uh what's going on here. Lucas, any final thoughts before we kick out, brother? Um no Jake Fromm to the Broncos. That's <laughs> no it. Jake Fromm at all. That's your that's your bold take. I love it. Yeah. Yo, TCK Potters, thank you so much for tuning in. You can, of course, make sure to subscribe here to the YouTube channel. Leave a comment to let us know uh, what your IDP moves are, who you want to see your team take in the NFL draft, and how we broke down the tight ends. Please make sure to go follow our good brother, Jonathan Rifkin, on all of his networks and make sure to tune into the podcast with Ryan Leaf there. You know where to find us, tckpod.com, anywhere the podcasts are heard. Make sure to leave a rate and review. Find us on Instagram at fantasyfootball underscore tckpod, on Twitter at tck underscore pod, and on Facebook at the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Podcast page. For Jonathan Rifkin and Lucas Kaser, I'm Sky Guasco, and we are out of here. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.